Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry. This is Chris Steiner Blondie. This is Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy Idol. This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is Peter Chotty, host of the story behind the song. Each month I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. Consequence Podcast Network. Hello, pod people! Leo Phillips here with This Must Be The Gig, your little backstage pass to the world of live performance. Every single week we bring you fascinating conversations from the beating heart of the performance scene with some of the most exciting names on this gigantic, big, spongy globe. We talk passion, we talk first concerts, insights into the creative mind during this truly unusual time, and everything in the Juicy Center. Today I am delighted to bring you a conversation with the exquisitely named Princess Goes to the Butterfly Museum. The trio was founded after Michael C. Hall met Peter Janowitz and Matt Katzbowen while starring in Hedwig and the Angry Inch on Broadway. One of the greatest differences between, you know, what we're up to as a band and what, you know, my experience of being a skin puppet is. <laughs> I mean an actor. <laughs> and to bring in our engineer today engineer adam hello (laughs) hello i want to chat to you a little bit about this band absolutely they might have met on broadway Mm -hmm. but all three of them have very interesting and unique different musical backgrounds that led them to this moment so peter you may know as a member of the wallflowers in the band's earliest years and also has drummed for everyone from yoko ono to billy bragg and wilco wilco too matt has worked with and produced a whole variety of acts as well and has spent the last decade plus as a member of blondie you've interviewed chris from blondie on this very show so that's two members of blondie on the record and please after this episode go and listen to that conversation with Chris and I, which had a lot about his photography. If you do not know, he's a wonderful photographer. And a very smart man. He really is. Most of you may know Michael C. Hall for starring roles in Dexter and Six Feet Under, but his musical pedigree is impressive as well, including Broadway stints in Chicago, Cabaret, and even Lazarus, where he worked closely with the David Bowie. One of our absolute... All-time. All-time. Favorites. Guillotes. <laughs> Bowie. So the band was named also at the suggestion of Matt's young daughter. And Princess Goes to the Butterfly Museum just released their debut EP last week after two years of working out their psychedelic gothic electro rock. And I chatted to the trio quite a while ago now. A few weeks, yes, but that could have been forever ago. Forever ago. To discuss touring with a Broadway production, their very first times playing together, the origin of Matt's Jutah nickname, their first concerts. Uh, What else do we chat about? Michael's propensity for onstage mishaps, because that clearly happens, (laughs) and much more. So let us not be delayed. This is me, Michael, Peter, and Matt. Enjoy, and please take care of yourselves. Shut up on the other hand Devil on me 
Oh, hey, this is Matt. This is Mike. This is Peter. And you're from... Princess Princess Goes to to the the Butterfly Butterfly Museum. Museum. (laughs) 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 Have you guys done that before? No, first time. Well, Well, we practiced it in the bathroom. What is the process? Because obviously we are chatting kind of in this magic sweet spot before the album gets released um, with a few singles out already. So what is the next phase? What happens? So we have some shows coming up in Los Angeles um, in mid-April. And um, we're going to be recording in Los Angeles as well. Or actually not L.A., but out there in the desert at um, Rancho de la Luna with Dave Catching. Yeah. So you'll be recording the album? No, this is new stuff. New stuff. Okay, yeah. so just a continuation of this EP coming out. Well, it might be an album. We, it's we, an EP. It could, or yeah, the EP is. Oh, the other thing. Sorry. Oh yeah, the guys. Um, so the sorry. <laughs> Get so it the together. EP. <laughs> Get it together. It's it's early. It's like two a.m. over here in New York. It's crazy. <laughs> so um, yeah. So we're the EP is. I think it's out. April 2nd. April 2nd, it's out. Mm-hmm. Um, then we're heading over to Rancho de la Luna to record more stuff, which could just be whatever. It'll be know? like its own desert EP, yeah. we think. But wait, is, that, is this new project that you're going to be recording, is that different in style to what you're about to re- release? What are you, Somewhat. What are your plans? We don't know what it is yet because we haven't done it, but it's going to be, we've been recording all of our music in, in our, we have like a clubhouse band hang out down near union square and um we make all of our write and make all of our music there so we're it, we're in our own bubble actually and then we're going to go out <laughs> of the bubble to, to the desert in los angeles with this amazing producer dave catching and we're gonna we're gonna try just you know we, we're always writing and we're always looking for new opportunities to to record so this it's definitely going to be different and you know we we've got a lot of music backed up backlog that we're going to be getting out as well this year so yeah because i've spoken to so many people for which music is their kind of escape from reality you know like the the artists say that making music is just like going out and gardening or going out and sewing like you just go out there and see what happens kind of like a who's a good example like a steve albini type of approach is it like that for all of you in terms of making music you just really go and make sure you're in the spot for it to happen or how does it work process-wise? Yeah, I mean, I think we all love happy accidents um, and working with what's on hand, whatever that may be. Um, in the studio, we have this old grand piano from like 1905. Sorry, upright piano from 1905. Mm-hmm. And so we'll just like bang on that and it's a little bit out of tune but it's super vibey. We don't really have a sort of set way of coming up with songs or song ideas. It's, um, yeah, they, they emerge in all kinds of different ways. The only constant is that we we never really stop writing. You know, we just try right, to... I think right. that a lot of bands fall into this. Oh, we wrote our first record, now let's write our second one. And then it's a weird... It, it adds like this pressure. So I think our... Our feeling is if we just don't stop writing, we'll never have that that lull and that pause to think about it too much, you know. Sure, sure. It's they call it like a like a sophomore slump. It's like the exactly. second album that comes with a lot of baggage of expectations and doubt and things like that. But obviously approaching creativity like that, I think it's pretty healthy, right? The way that you're doing it is just making sure that you're often creating so that you can fill in those gaps as opposed to having a strict regiment around the routine of creating. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like we're like, okay, let's go rent a house in Switzerland and and just write for a month, which sounds pretty damn awesome. Yeah, we should do that. Let's do that. Switzerland. Yeah. Actually, I'll (laughs) shut up. We should do that. Okay, bye. 
Yeah. Cheers. No, but I think that that's a, a look. Every, of course, it's subjective, but I do think it's what's fascinating is that having the um, improvisation, I think, is such a special thing that a lot of people don't talk about. Like allowing yourself to improvise, whether that is in music or performance or art or anything. Giving yourself that freedom, I think, is really special, which is why like stream of conscious writing is important and things like that. Is Does that resonate with all of you? Or? Oh, definitely, yeah. Definitely. Uh, some of our, my favorite songs of ours started from improvisations, you know, we're just in a room imp- improvising. And I think a lot of great music starts that way. Yeah, because I feel like you... Like you start the album, so chatting about this, obviously this upcoming project, I know we've spoken about a lot of different things, but um, talking about this specifically, you start the album by saying... Don't regret your ignorance. Yes, yes. Do you find like that, um, I feel like that's a good starting place for us to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Like, did you find any significance in starting the album? Because it stood out for me uh, and I wondered if if it had any relation to how you approached this project or if I'm looking too deep into the meaning of it. No, I think, I think that's, uh, that's probably true. There's some, don't regret your ignorance. Uh, don't look back and wonder if, what if or something. Yeah. Yes. yes. Don't you know there's nothing worth knowing to be known? It's like, yeah. except mystery. The unanswerable is where it's at. You know, I, I guess it's maybe setting setting the stage um just just uh you know don't try to figure it out just lean back and uh let it happen i don't know yeah i mean like i hate to sound sensitive to these things but i definitely think that that's a great way to start an album where you're also introducing one another you're introducing this project you're introducing yourselves in kind of a newer light not a new light Mm -hmm. was that a song that you improvised in terms or did you go into making that specific song with an idea like where did the freedom come from in that sense um that song was just assembled from um i guess there are four different lines melodically um i don't know that i thought of any of them as a harmony versus i sang them in succession in my bathroom and uh sent them to peter and matt and um matt just um uh stacked them all together and then the the musical accompaniment emerged from that um that's definitely how that song came to be it's unique to that song but um i guess there was in that sense the improvisation had something to do with you know offering something putting something on the table musically that someone then does something with that you never would have done you know so there's there's this sort of collaboration that way but um right yeah. Do you mean as in like the collaborative effort between the three of you or just yeah. speaking from a broader sense? Right. Okay. Yeah. That, 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 that sometimes someone will make some sort of, you know, musical offer mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, another person will accept it and build upon it, add to it in a way that the person who made the offer probably never would have. And then all of a sudden it's a new thing. And, it's uh, like a musical exquisite corpse. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, you know the drawing game exquisite corpse where you fold the paper, okay. you draw something and you fold it and you pass it to your friend and then they draw something that you didn't know and then you fold it again. It's right? Yes. So I so that's why I love collaborative collaboration on all fronts. Like I just feel like there's so much of oneself that you learn within the process of doing that, but also you allow for everybody to become better at what they originally were good at, if that makes sense. Like, that's kind of what it sounds like happened. Mm-hmm. So you all kind of fell into what you are very good at. Or do you find like you've found things that you might never have done? You were more confident to go after them because you were in a collaborative space. I'd all, hope so. All the above. Like, we don't yeah. we don't really write one way. Like, like Mike said, we... Sometimes we're all in the room playing, or Matt said, um, we sometimes one of us, Michael, start a song and sing it in his bathroom and send it to us, and just more about being present and listening, mm-hmm. and and uh, I think we're all learning 
new stuff you know with each song it's almost like a new learning opportunity kind of yeah do you find though that the process then of that learning and uh, that discovery almost and making the music did you find that it has affected the way that you listen to music now considering you all obviously this is a new project for the three of you together do you find like it affected that at all Hmm. good question I think it's a weird question. I don't know. I just it's a good question. I don't know. I'm just wondering, like, does it like the way that you're listening to music now? Do you think about the theory behind it? Yeah, about the reason. Yeah, you know, and like you, yeah, I would say yes. You were in this process of exploring our creativity together. It's making us look at other songs and study them. I think whenever you're deep diving into music. It allows you to listen to music differently because you're inside it, you know? Yeah, and maybe you, you consider the way something's constructed uh, in a way that, I don't know, if you're in the process of constructing things, you might pay more attention to the way other things seem to be constructed. But ultimately, it's just about, for me, just how it feels. Um, I don't know. that When I listen to music, I, I don't want to be preoccupied with how it's constructed as much as just having right. the yes. experience yeah. of letting it you know wash pause the podcast it's time to step away just momentarily from the conversation to briefly share a little something that engineer adam and i like to call the live show of the week I was too short at that time. I want to say it again so I can say it Great. for full. The live, live show, show of the week. week. So what do we do? Cool. Doppler what, effect, baby. What do we do uh, every week? Every week we keep you connected with the music world by sharing we? one of our favorite <laughs> exciting live events that you can go to. Except in this case now we're all just doing live events that you can see on your computer or phone or TV or tablet. Or out your window and at your neighbor's TV. I'm going to call my neighbor Jeff and be like, hey, Jeff, turn to the live show. Peeping tom-toms? Ah, hey, there you go. I don't like that. Well, okay. Don't look through your windows. Okay. (laughs) Imagine somebody's just looking through our curtain and they know that they can just, all they are going to watch is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This week, we wanted to highlight an extra special performance from none other than Angel Olsen on Saturday, April 11th at 6 p.m. Eastern. We always do this game now where we have to figure out what time that is elsewhere. Oh, right. Eastern is 5 central. Um, uh, 4... Mountain. Mountain. Three Western. What's Western? Uh, California and I Oregon. That's PST. Oh, Pacific, not Western. Yeah. <laughs> am I right or yeah. am I right? The, the, the American the here is getting it again. messed up. Um, and yeah. what time is if it back in South Eastern, Africa? Eastern, then it would be midnight. One. 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 Okay. One in South Africa. And to midnight in midnight in the UK. Five, six hours. Yeah. yeah. Midnight in the UK. Right. So last year, Angel dropped the excellent album, All Mirrors. So I would wager that you'll get a lot of songs from that album. Some mm-hmm. gems plucked throughout our catalog. Maybe some new material if we're lucky. Right. And as if getting an in-home concert from Angel Olsen weren't enough, you'll also be helping other artists because all proceeds from the live stream go to Angel's band and crew as well as to the Music Cares COVID-19 relief effort, which we have spoken about previously, and we will continue to talk about. Absolutely. Google, if you don't know. Get some tunes and make a difference. It's a great thing to do. And there's good news if you're busy on Saturday night as well. Uh, you can buy a ticket for the show for $12 in advance or $15 on Saturday, and that will allow you to watch the performance at any time within 24 hours of oh, the wow. event. So it's recorded, and then if you can't see it at Saturday night, you can watch it Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Ah. Sunday evening, as long as it's within 24 hours. So So that ticket goes, so you just buy it, and it kind of is just an everlasting coupon. Yes, exactly. everlasting 24 hours. Right, for one day, yeah. And then you can watch the performance anytime within that window. So uh, to tune in and also to buy your ticket to watch the stream, head to angelolson.veeps.com. That's A-N-G-E-L-O-L-S-E-N dot V-E-E-P-S. 
That's two E's in Veeps. Dot com. And talking about some angels, <laughs> let's get back to this week's interview with me, Michael, Peter, and Matt. Enjoy. I, I would just like to add that um, I do love it also when I hear sounds on records and I'm like, how did they make that? What is that? <laughs> oh, I have no right. idea what that is, you know. Especially um, now when you have no idea, like some people are manipulating. Uh, I spoke to an artist the other day who like used a guitar for just like used it as almost an amp. Like they were just right. spiraling off the loop and the echo of it. Yeah, stuff like that is so cool. Yeah. Do you feel like that's that sense of like wonder is going to only just grow with all of you as you go along, or do you not want to get too tied to the making of it versus the doing of it? Um, I think it's going to grow as long as um, you know music technology continues to explode sure. in the way, or even if it stays where it is, it's like um, it's kind of limitless right now, which is awesome, you know, to think about. Um, but of, you know, we, we've all made records and recorded, you know, for years before this band. So right. it's also not our first rodeo in that way. <laughs> so we've, we've always been kind of analytical mm-hmm. when it comes to definitely, um, the recording aspect, I think. Yeah. yeah. I'm Matt. I also spoke with your blondie compatriot, Chris, for this exact show many, Uh-oh. many moons ago. Uh oh! What did he say? What did he say? Yeah, it was awesome. It was amazing. Oh yeah, he's um, he's hilarious. He's one of the silliest guys around. So silly and so lovely and so clever and so smart. So like, smart. So, oh my yeah, god! Like, I mean, just they, unbelievably. Him and Debbie are just like. I know. I, I could listen to them just talk and BS for literally hours. Hours. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> but also speaking about, I suppose, knowing, like listening to music that you love, I guess. Um, did you guys have a certain cultural touchstone that you wanted to achieve before making this album? Like, I remember chatting to Georgia Moroda many, many years ago. And the thing that he, like he said, it was always about like, if there was one thing in life that most, most artists he met wanted to do, it was that they wanted to make dance music. So, like, was that your goal going in? Or did you just, again, kind of like we were, talk- we were talking earlier, just make what was natural? Yeah, I think, again, I think um, we want people to move and dance. And um, I've always loved Italo Disco, like, forever, pretty much. And mm-hmm. the Giorgio Moroder stuff, of course. So, I mean, I've always wanted to make dance music, but we're also we've we're just ro- like a rock band by default i mean i guess that's what we are yeah i suppose it's hard to define what you're making but did you listen to anything whilst you were making it that could have influenced you or things that like allowed you to kind of open your brain because we all listen to music for very different reasons but did it kind of filter in at all whilst you were writing this album oh yeah i mean so much so much stuff like uh i was going through like a uh, Johann Sebastian Bach phase. Um, (laughs) not exactly Giorgio Moroder, but, um, you know, keyboard driven music. Definitely. Kind of a lot of arpeggios and yeah, yeah, kind of, (laughs) you can sort of see the parallels a lot with, yeah, the arpeggio stuff. And I mean, especially on the last, on the Daft Punk record, you know, they go crazy. That Giorgio Moroder song is crazy with the arpeggios. And so that's kind of my, where my head was at the time. We're all sponges for everything that we're listening to or seeing yeah. in the world. So it all makes its way in. And I think you might want to start making a certain kind of music, but eventually the natural flow kicks in and your music sort of tells you what it is, you know. Because we, we seem to be going down a road and then we'll just shift gears and do something totally different. And and I think we all like that about this band, that we can – we can try things and we don't have these rigid sort of like, oh, no, that doesn't sound like. I mean, we do have we used to say in the beginning, like, oh, does that sound like it could be in the museum, like the museum having this sort of aesthetic unity? And and we don't really ask that anymore. I think we've given each other the freedom to like 
we kind of just know like oh yeah that fits the aesthetic you know and yeah. it's not like a specific genre like dance music or hard rock but it's definitely an overriding aesthetic that we all feel Right. And thematically, what did you discuss prior to going into this or whilst you were, were writing? What are the things that like you speak about on this record that really mean like why did you decide to write it into a song as opposed to, you know, as a creative writing exercise or whatever? Like how did you in terms of the lyrics and, and the themes that you're discussing? What, why did those resonate and make it onto the album? I mean, I think just as, as you know, the musical sounds that happen are come upon somewhat intuitively without too much, you know, intellectual analysis, I think the same goes for the um, lyrical component, you know. It's, it's, it's what emerged um, in some cases initially, and music was built around it, in some cases in response to a musical idea. Um, sometimes it's about a certain, don't regret your ignorance, that just occurred to me as a thing that I wanted to sing, and everything arose from that, you know, sometimes. But I don't know. I mean, I think it's it's... It's we don't talk that much about what we're up to creatively. We just sort of get to doing it, and uh, I think we're we're sort of loath to overanalyze it. Um, you know, you don't want to extingu extinguish whatever magic might be facilitated by you not talking about it. Right, right. I think there's definitely like there's definitely artists who find that obviously overanalyzing can take the magic away. It's the same as like talking about performance in that way. But I do feel like it's interesting when it is a collaborative effort um, to find the reasons why certain things come up at certain moments. You know, obviously. Right. Well, I think I think there's definite there's definitely you know we we are all alive in this in this time and space in this moment and if there's something you know the lyrics are some are very personal some are maybe more uh commentary on the sort of dystopian flavor of the moment you know but they in one way or another are 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 naming um are naming the collective moment in some sort of somewhat unconscious way, perhaps, but um, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I, we definitely analyze the once we get a song together, we analyze this, we analyze it from that point and, and try to, um, you know, fine tune it. But as far as the inspiration goes, we don't, we don't like have a conversation. It's like, what are we going to try to do with our next song? What do we want to say? You know, we just, we just, we don't do that. Obviously, you've all shared that experience on Broadway together. But how much does downtime that you have during the show or during touring to think of other sort of creative projects, did it all start there or did it happen organically afterwards? Where did it all start? Yeah, you know, um, we all did the Hedwig together at different times, Some sometimes at the same time, but... Uh, I think the organic sort of start was when Matt and I got home from the Hedwig tour after traveling around the country together. We were hanging out a lot, and we were just like, hey, "Why we should hang out in New York?" and And Matt started coming by the studio, and we just started jamming. I came by his studio, and and we were just having fun hanging out, and songs started coming out, and we realized, God, it'd be cool if we had a singer. And then one night, Mike and I had right. dinner, and he heard some of the songs, and it, he was just like, God, you guys need a singer? And we were like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and it, it was almost an accident, you know, I think a happy accident that we just all had the timing and the chemistry. It was like, oh, we sort of filled this role in this, this moment in time, and it, it came together, you know. Right. I don't want to ask kind of why it's different, because of course they're two different disciplines. But do you feel that doing something like theater or Broadway and being a part of that mode, does that allow for you to feel a little bit of more connection and bonding, seen as though it is much more collaborative than, you know, many other things? It's, it's the same with, you know, performance on screen, um, you know, to that extent as well, or if you're in a, you know, huge production. Do you feel like it's conducive for more connection and more bonding because you are surrounded 
you know, by with each other every day or... Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, Peter and I, you know, just traveling around the country, just kind of... And, you know, with the common goal of bringing this show to people, um, just, you know, we were in San Francisco for a month, then we were in L.A. for, like, a month. And, I mean, I, you know, I, I remember it, I was sort of... I, I had to fend off a knife attacker in San Francisco, you know, and what? and uh, and then I sort of ran to Peter, and, and he was like, "Yeah, man, it's all gonna be cool. I'm gonna make music, man." <laughs> wait, wait, so, what happened? <laughs> well, you know, San Francisco. Um, I was staying in the Tenderloin, which was, um, it's you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that goes on in that neighborhood, you know. So every okay. day, it, every day was just sort of like you walk outside and. And, you know, you just never know what you're going to get kind of thing. Fuck. So, wait, what happened? So, you, so, legitimately, somebody pulled a knife on you? Yeah, yeah. Well, he was, um, I was in a coffee shop, you know. I sort of ducked in there thinking that would be like a refuge. Um, and um, and then I, I noticed a guy who was sort of covered in blood and... Um, Sorry, is this going off topic here? Yeah. No, man, no, keep I mean, going, keep yeah, going. It's the best part I'm, of the day. I'm in, a, I'm in it. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I was actually, I was with Matt, um, the bassist in Hedwig, and Dylan, the drum sub in Hedwig. And we were just having a nice coffee, and this guy started talking to us, and we noticed, you know, he's covered in blood. It's like dried blood. And, um, and then I looked down, and he's holding, like, a hunting knife. And, um, and he's just saying, you know, I... I can't tell what's what's reality and what's not reality anymore, and um, and that's when I remembered Peter saying, "We're gonna make some fucking music." <laughs> um, and and getting to your question too, the the uh, thank you the collaborative. Sorry, I'm pouring some water. Um, no, I was the, just gonna say, no, it's good. You, you, no. the uh, <laughs> the I thought I knew this like mic what extends all the way to the bathroom. <laughs> all the way to the loo. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be a heavy pee. Um, that would be an insanely horrible thing for me to capture. Heavy I just flow. Want to tell you all. Um, heavy flow. Actually, quite good. Anyway. <laughs> oh, so I was just saying. I thought I knew. Just being in bands forever, you know, you think of yourself as a collaborator when you have like one or two or three people. To sure. Like, then the theater world that just blew my mind. It was literally like fifty people of you sure. know, and you have to. It 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 just ripped open collaboration so yeah i think that it was great to be tested like that and have to like personality test it i think it sets you up for any anything just working in a theater for a minute you know because you're always in a kind of position to have to ask permission to do this thing that you're really good at like <laughs> you know it, it's a constant process of asking for approval i suppose like with anything collaborative I don't so know if it's asking for pr approval as much maybe as maybe approval's the wrong phrase. Yeah, well, but... yeah, because there is a director and they they're usually running the show, and right. that's different in this sense, you know. But it does sort of make you listen more and also, um, you know, follow the flow of the group rather than. Yeah, yeah, it's an ensemble effort. It's collaborative, but I think with the three of us, and we were talking about this the other day, it's great that we are. You know the cast, the director, the producer. Right. So it's all you know. It's just us three, which is kind of beautifully simple. Yeah, and we're not we're not you know facilitating somebody else's creation. We're sharing something we're creating. You know, so that's the fundamental difference. Yeah. What do you feel was the biggest challenge then um, from going from that into this? Like not challenges in like the direct dichotomy between like this is a performance for Broadway. This is a, you know, performance for music. But what was the thing that really shocked you all um, in terms of having that freedom and having that independence to collaborate with your own ideas as opposed to having somebody tell you what their ideas were and then asking you to join? What was something that kind of surprised you all about that? Well, I mean, I think a lot of your question sort of articulates my answer. You know, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, I think it's the freedom of not depending on a bunch of other people to say yes, uh, to give you the chance to execute their idea. You know, it's just we just get together and depend on nothing but that. And uh, it's liberating for, for me. Um, it's definitely uh, one of the 
greatest things about uh, one of the greatest differences between, you know, what we're up to as a band and what, you know, my experience of being a skin puppet is. <laughs> I mean, an actor. <laughs> Hello, I'm going to call you. you skin know, puppet, that's you a good. I like that skin, skin puppet. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. No, I'm, Guys, it's I on my like business we're all card. Skin puppets, come on. Like yeah, all the world's a, a puppet theater, and all like some way. the players are skin puppets. Like I like to feel like I'm not. Like I've freelanced for like a, over a decade. I feel like I'm my own boss in that, right? But I'm. There's always that's someone. such a skin puppet thing to say. Though. It's such a skin puppet <laughs> thing to say. I agree. Oh, <laughs> fuck. But how do you get? So how do you? How does the skin puppet? Um, how do you get over self doubt then? When you are thrust into the situation where people are telling you what is good and like affirming like reaffirming your values because you do get that kind of sense of approval by being at a certain point in your career. So how do you get over self-doubt when you're going into a different, completely different mode of creativity, like making music? I don't think of it, I think of it as getting over it. I think it's, you know, like, you know, you walk into the ocean and the waves are coming. It's just like you just walk into the wave of it and let it hit you uh, and you go through it. So wait, so there's no fear. No, there's a big wave of fear. Okay. But but I, I I don't I don't try to get over it or anything. I just kind of walk through it. I mean, that's the exhilaration of you know, putting yourself out there. It's like, all right, let's let's walk into the wave. I don't know. I feel like I want to project <laughs> some of my anxiety onto you right now cuz that's great. <laughs> Like we'll take it. We're sponges, as I yeah. said. Well, you know, I mean, it's 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 a you know, we don't jump out of airplanes, but it is a form of daredevilry, probably. Sure. Wait, have you never jumped out of an airplane? Hell no. Mm-mm. What? Wait, you nav- none of you have skydived. No. Skydived. No. Well, why? Skydived. Why? Why would I? We were too because busy playing that the, the bubble thing. football game. Seriously, that was the bit. I will never like bungee jump, but skydiving is. Was the Did you have to be strapped to somebody else's back? Yeah, so oh, I went man. like it was a surprise by my friends for like my. Tw- it was very long time ago for like my twenty seventh birthday when all the big artists have died. They were like, "You should just go in this way." Right. You know? If like, you if you die, die, people will be like, "She was too great not to die at twenty seven. Exactly. And so. You you do like a t- a thing for like fifteen minutes, a training situation, and then the guy straps to they strap you to this person who like proceeds to tell you about their life, so you get to like connect with the person you. Might so you die can with. see their life run before your eyes as you fall. Exactly, exactly, and then. They just throw you out. No, you da- the worst part I think of it was dangling. Like, and maybe we can align this to what we're talking about with creativity. I don't know if we can segue, but when your feet are like dangling, like a toe dipped in that ocean of fear, that is actually the scariest part of right. it. When you don't, when you're not actually doing the thing, it's like right before doing the thing, like right before they push you out. Um. Your feet are just dangling, so your body kind of feels like it's half supported, half not. And that was actually the scariest moment yeah. for me. That's a good metaphor for playing live. I'm going to segue it. I'm going to bring yes. it back. Bring it That's back what I was wondering. <laughs> what, what do you, you mean? Like, Well, just like that anticipation of going out on stage and then you get out on stage and you know, everything, your heart's racing and, you, you know, your stomach is, you no know, matter how many times you do it, you know, you just, you just feel that, that energy. And then once you start playing, it's like you're falling and it's, it's like. It's, it's yeah. Like, you're too busy. You're too busy falling to, uh, to, worry to, to worry about it the way you might've been before you jumped. Do you all remember the first time you ever performed? Like, is that memory etched into your brains? That first performance? My yeah. bar mitzvah. Yeah, my bar mitzvah <laughs> in, yeah, in Utah. All, all my Mormon friends came, and they said I sang like Mickey Mouse, and <laughs> I had to, you know, speak Hebrew in front of all my Mormon friends. It was it was a disaster. Um, <laughs> but you know, I got over it. And you know, I actually, I had a. I grew up in Utah, and uh, I was Jewish, and they called me Utah, and we had oh. a. Yeah, this is the title of your memoir. (laughs) (laughs) And we, he was, we had a gay cantor, and he was very musical theatery, and he brought his piano to like Friday night services, and 
and he asked me to bring my drums and um so we formed this kind of like drum piano duo and we did these rock and roll prayers and mm -hmm. and it was awesome i was like at first i thought no i don't want to do this and then i got there and i was like this is awesome <laughs> it was just getting all these old jewish people off their feet and Oh, so you played for the services? I played actually. for the services. Oh, I, we formed a little band, you know. Wow, that's so cool. That was my first performance. What about you guys? Oh, that's awesome. Wow, that is great, Jutah. That. That's awesome. Thank you. I quite like that. Oh, thank I'm you. surprised you didn't call this project Jutah. <laughs> solo. That it's was not my too solo. late. Is it too late? <laughs> Maybe it's too late. It's not. It's too late, guys. A lot of people I talk to about their first performances do actually, they don't say it's bar mitzvahs, but they say it's like some sort of church or religious experience because that is like a, for a child, that's a good way to kind of enter into public domain yeah. of performance without mm -hmm. like 
monetizing it? Mine was in church. Mine was a church play yeah. called What Love Is. And I and I was I played the the main character and I the character uh asks God at the beginning of the play to come visit him and God says, "Yeah, man, I'm going to come." And uh <laughs> Then he, over the course of the play, over the course of the night, is visited by three different people in different states of need, and he oh, wow. and he helps them out. But then at the end of the play, he's like, "God, you never showed up." And an angel comes down and says, "Yes, I did. <laughs> I was those three people." And he's like, I "Oh, <laughs> I get it. I am and, uh, okay." Yeah, and yeah, that was oh. my first. That did was you we just it? did it I mean, one you, time. It, were you good? Did you I know it? that my parents came and they were amazed that they could hear me. They got there late and they were standing in the back and they were like, "We heard every word you said." Stage, and, uh, Wait, were you a stage shy voice. Child? Um, I don't think I was your. No, I don't think I was a, a shy child. I think okay. I was a. I think I was exuberant in my way, but I. I think I was a. Uh, Raised in an environment that didn't really prize exuberance, so right, uh, right. my exuberance wasn't acknowledged. <laughs> so why did you have the confidence to do that? Was it just because they like pushed you into know. doing it? No, but no, no. I mean, I wasn't forbidden from performing or anything, but I definitely didn't have a uh, stage parents or anything like that. Thankfully, I mean, it belonged to me. My impulse to perform in any mm. way I have has definitely been, you know, just my own. It's not like somebody getting me a little baby headshot and taking me to commercial auditions. <laughs> or anything. Not too late. Not too I late. I want to see the right, baby right. headshot of you, though. I really was just thinking the same. <laughs> like, I wonder, I wonder if you actually do have a headshot out there, a baby headshot. And you just I definitely have some baby pictures. Uh, we could just pretend that they were headshots. Yeah, I'll just, yeah I'll just put my name on the bottom. Great. <laughs> We can just find a random picture. Of I should a start u- using that as my headshot. Be like, this is pretty old. <laughs> you should probably update your headshot. <laughs> you look wiser now. Okay, so we've got a bar mitzvah. Matt. We've got a church performance. Wow. I, Shit. Man, How are you, you guys top are this? killing it. How am I going to top this? Just make it up. Just make some out. Yeah, just, just make it up. All right. It, yeah, so I opened for the Rolling Stones <sighs> in Madison Square Garden when I was five. <laughs> when I was two, I, yeah, I opened for Led Zeppelin at MSG, actually, <laughs> um, for that movie, Song Remains the Same. That was me. <laughs> that was you? Yeah, yeah. For like a second, there's a baby on stage. And um, no, but really. Um, <laughs> Damn. I just nearly believed you. What the, what the <laughs> yeah. hell? If you blink, you miss it. But there's like a baby yeah. for a second. Um, no, I would have to say I went to band camp, and I, oh. which was pretty dorky, but also like probably the best time of my life. I would say yeah. Camp Encore. It was called. It's been downhill since <laughs> Camp Encore. <laughs> In a way, um, that, missed that was opportunity like the best. for a band name, guys. Again. Don't downhill. know what you guys are thinking. Since Camp, Camp Encore. Encore. So it was probably when we did, one year we did One by Metallica. That was like the big, um, you know, the big Whoa. epic finale was, we, you know, do-do-do-do. We got to play that do-do-do-do on guitar. And it was pretty sick. But, you know, it wasn't the uh, synagogue house band, which is so <laughs> rad. No, I wasn't that's playing pretty good. God. That's you know, pretty good. I wasn't playing that. God. I was playing uh, the guy who was asking God to visit him. Oh, yeah, that guy. Get it straight. Get the story straight. Okay. But wait, so, um, <laughs> so taking so the, I mean, this is very fascinating. I don't know if you if this is fascinating for you guys. Have you heard? This is so much better than another? our last interview. It's like we're loving. Oh it. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you for being cool. No, I'm genuinely like I think the the joy out of this is also because you all do come from you come from such different backgrounds, but I feel like the way that you speak about making music is so similar, which is odd sometimes to see that similarity, or maybe I'm just looking for it, but it feels like your approach to it is definitely on the same page. You're all on the same page, which like how do you get there? Like for people, people struggle with that, you know their whole lives so that i think that that's kind of I, w- I would like to applaud you all for that yeah i think we're just lucky to have some sort of simpatico that we collectively experience you know i know that Hedwig, obviously michael that was really your like first opportunity to almost front or like quote unquote, to front, front a, band. a band yeah no that's right true. and that's i don't i don't think that you can 
push that aside in terms of like teaching you a certain way to be in front of a musical collaboration because i certainly feel like you can learn so much from that versus of course you can be fueled by the brilliant work you've done as an actor but taking going from there into this do you approach this music and performing in the same way as you almost did with broadway obviously minus the um outfits and everything not not really i mean i definitely do you know the the sense of performing that show the sense of being connected to a group of musicians and also connecting with an audience simultaneously and feeling that you know is is something that um i mean that's something you do as an actor with your fellow actors but doing it musically took it to another place but i mean the, the experience of doing the band is is fundamentally different just because it's a lot more personal you know this is we're making this stuff you know why is why is that performance different to what you would do as an actor well because they're my words they're our songs Mm -hmm. they're 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 emerging from us we're Mm -hmm. we're not playing songs that somebody else wrote and pretending to be people other than the people we actually are you know so it's it's fundamentally different that way right so do you feel like before you all did your very first performance together did you have any sort of conversation about what that would look like in terms of like knowing that the goal is to be authentic to your own work the goal is to connect with the audience but was there any other conversation surrounding that like idea prior to going into that first performance together we we made a lot of music before we performed. We we wrote, right. we were because we weren't really ever starting deciding to start a band. It sort of started on uh, it started us, you know, like. But it occurred to us after we'd written a bunch of songs, is like, oh, maybe we should we should probably play <laughs> play mm-hmm. out somewhere. It was almost an afterthought, and and so we didn't really put a lot of thought other than, oh, I, mean, I guess we should probably play a show. We got a lot of music here. It'd be fun to to share it you know so what was that first show that you all played together for this for this project it was at berlin berlin a year ago from this last september berlin the club not the city yes i was just going to ask okay and was was it good who remembers yeah was it good it was was good it was good yeah i mean yeah. yeah it felt like uh being transported i mean i think we we made a point to maybe not definitively say this is how we want to be or what we want to be we want to just get up there play our songs and allow who or what we are to reveal itself to us and i think we've kind of like and still are like just evolving into that i don't know if this is rude or like overstepping but is there a sense of yourself that you're acting as well on stage or at least assuming some sort of role to portray a certain version of yourself? Like everyone does that when they're performing, whether it's again as a kid or, you know, on stage in front of millions of people. So is, do you feel like you assume that role because it's comfy or do you feel like you're more yourself on stage singing than you are you know, in a Broadway show or in acting or something like that? I would say both, you know. I feel right. more myself and other than myself. But, mm-hmm. you know, we're all skin puppets. I mean, right now, I'm the skin puppet version of myself that's doing a podcast, you know. Right. And when I go on stage, when we all go on stage, we're the versions of ourselves who do that, you know. Right. So you're you're sort of modifying your presentation of yourself or your performance uh, or the version of your skin puppet from situation to situation. And um, that's one that calls upon us to do whatever it is we do up there. Yeah, and it yeah. kind of begs the question, um, like, what is the self, you know? Mm-hmm. Word. I mean, um, is, is, there, is there a self? Or like Mike said, are we just sort of playing parts playing that. in our lives? Guys, I don't know. know. I lo- like we, we can laugh at this, but I am genuinely curious about it. Because like I spoke to, I don't know, like Alice Cooper, for example. He was like completely normal or like Ozzy Osbourne, right? Like they all put these personas on when they go on stage to help them create that fantasy for their fans they know that they are in service of their music 
And some others go up on stage and they sing about like dead family members and ball and break down sobbing and it is completely themselves. I don't think one or the other is better. I just think it's fascinating finding out which one you are. You know? I don't know that one or the other is that different from the other, you know. You know, right. whether somebody's up there seeming to have an authentic performance singing a song about a dead loved one or biting off bat heads or whatever, right. you know, it's still a presentation, you know, it's still done on a stage for an audience. It's not a private moment. And, um, you know, however you present yourself is however you present yourself, but it's always a presentation. I, I would agree, and I would just say, I mean, even, yeah, being Alice Cooper or Ozzy Osbourne, they're acting out essential archetypes, you know, personality archetypes to get, like, Jungian about it. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of even more authentic in a way than someone just saying, like, oh, my cat died, you know, not to denigrate <laughs> that at all, because that's cool, but it's also like there's certain, you know, universal mythological archetypes that really resonate, which... Uh, which I think are totally authentic, if you mm -hmm. can go with that, you know? Just like talking about your cat that died or whatever. Right. You know? I think this is interesting. I've never really um, spoken about this in this context, especially with people kind of siding with the idea where it's more authentic. Because, you know, I think there's always labels to like DJs or certain genres where you feel like, oh, it's digital and you can't connect to it. Or if somebody's singing with a guitar, it's more intimate. Um, but like at a concert, listeners and performers, they almost become like this collective consciousness, right? You're all like focusing on this one thing. You're not looking at your phone or, you know, you're moving your body in unison. So I feel like that authenticity yeah. maybe comes from the crowd. Yeah, it's a much. primal experience. Yeah, it's it's sort of like a primal religious experience even. Yeah, like we're all looking for something real, right? Like in life and on stage and in bed wherever you are like we're looking for those real just feeling that realness do you know what i mean and i think sometimes you have to trick yourselves and sometimes you're on stage and you feel it other times you're on stage and you just don't and sometimes you'll get a glimpse and sometimes you're just living it you know so you know does that make sense like you're, you're trying oh, to gosh. trick yourself Absolutely. into just you know sometimes you have to fake it till you make it you know sure it's like a bomb in response to like how intense the rest of the world like feels right now i think live performance although i don't know what's going to happen this year in terms of like what's going on in the world um and t for touring bands but uh i definitely i hear that definitely resonates i hear what you mean going into performances like, do you feel energetically different before, during, after performance? Like, how much does it affect you? Oh, tremendous. Huge. Like, you get just Ugh. so high. I don't know if you perform you? yourself, but you get... No. You get, no. like... I For personally, for me, it's like... It's a drug in itself. It's just you get so high. Your outer body, you know, you're in your body. It's like you never felt more like yourself. You never felt, like Mike said, you never felt more like something bigger yeah. it's awesome and it can also be the worst experience of your life too. You know? <laughs> no wait have you had terrible experiences oh yeah like personally i walked out on stage the other day and i fell right on my ass in front of about oh. two thousand people like literally <laughs> literally i just fell i tripped over some cords and feet up Shit. like there was a gasp in the audience it was pretty oh, awesome no. and it was an, it was do? awesome though i mean like come on that that, so it, that was so authentic yeah people were like i love that, that was, no seriously that was the best i love this so rock and roll i was like oh, so yeah, again, I, I tripped. Like, yeah. um no but there's always bad moments what do you guys yeah oh man i mean i've yeah i've definitely had some tough moments on stage when i was doing cabaret i played the mc in cabaret and there was this little thrust stage and i it was in early on in my performances and i actually fell the 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 front of the audience the orchestra was like tables like it, it was like a club you know and people were sitting at chairs at tables and i fell off the stage <laughs> and the stage was not that high but it was definitely high enough to notice that i fell and I fell off the stage and landed in this woman's lap and I looked up and uh, my tremendous improvisatory skills kicked in and I looked at the audience and I, what I said was I fell off the stage 
<laughs> That's what I said. Wait, but I saw you fall during Lazarus. Didn't you slip in the milk once? Oh, well, I always fell. And the, oh, no, there oh was God, one time I, saw I fell. That, I saw yeah, that. Yeah, that's show. right. At the end of Lazarus, there's this, like, I don't know milk. if it was angel blood or milk or what, but it emerges from the center of the stage. And um, the actress I was doing the scene with, the two of us sort of slip and slide through the milk. Uh, but at one point, I unintentionally, I got up and just, oh, man, I planted it, awesome. like, I, in the middle of a song. And I had to continue awesome. singing this, like, really emotional song with this imaginary friend. And uh, But it's kind of, when things like that, that happen, awesome. it's like all the molecules in the room just, you know, everything just becomes so of the present moment when something unexpected happens. So those, those you know, sometimes those accidents can be magical. Right, because you're kind of in a daze when you're, well, I can imagine, you're so focused on the performance at that time, but it's almost so natural after a few runs of a show. Yeah. So then doing that kind of puts you outside, like an out-of-body experience of that skin puppet. Peter winged a drumstick into the back of my head one show. Oh. Well, no, the tip broke the off. The tip was broke on, off. That was on purpose. Kind of bit Mike in the head. It was, I felt like I'd been, Shit. I was like, did I get a shot? But you didn't know, he didn't know that it was my <laughs> stick. Am I bleeding? Yeah. Um, wait, how, why? Or were you just so excited, Peter? You just no, I, it was an accident. Scared? I played with these LED plastic sticks and, oh. and Princess, and it just popped off and literally just projectiled towards Mike's head. And he, he was, he was, his back was to me, so it hit him in the back of the head, and he just, he immediately was like, "Ow!" and didn't <laughs> didn't know what it was, and I couldn't tell him until afterwards. For the record, was... I did not say "ow." <laughs> <laughs> You, it looked like you felt ow, though. It no, no, hurt, I did. Right? It, yeah. It it's amazing you like how your brain, growl? like, I don't know. I was in the middle of the, the singing the song, so I just kept going. But I definitely, there's a footage of it. Like, I just sort of flinched and kept going. But it's amazing <laughs> the blanks that your mind will fill in blanks. Like, I didn't know what that was. And somehow right. my mind immediately constructed, like, well, obviously some sort of wire got right. cut and came loose and and the <laughs> and the live end of it tapped me on the back of the head that's the only explanation for what just happened um that wasn't what happened i'm sorry to say i'm sorry to love i feel like i feel no it's it's appropriate i think what i would love to know is if you all remember the first concert that you ever saw so a band or maybe not potentially the first but the first show that made you go like i love performance i love music or i love anything about this situation um, do you remember those first experiences? Matt probably yeah. was the coolest one. Um, no, but you Matt. can't give a lot. You Make can't lie. First. That's um, the rule for well, this one. I already mentioned Led Zeppelin at MSG, but no, seriously though, um, okay. probably the Headbangers Ball mm -hmm. concert, and it was Anthrax and Exodus and Halloween. And that was oh, pretty wow. sweet. Yeah, How old are you? Cool. I was pretty young. I think I was 11, and I was going... Um, I think it was my birthday, and so I went with a few friends, and my mom took us, which was pretty cool of her. So that was um, that was like a big rock show, but then I also saw, um, I, w I started going to CBGB for the hardcore matinees, which was more like in your face, you know, people diving on your head kind of craziness, and that was um, pretty early, I guess, too. So those two things stick out. Yeah. Yeah. I think the the this isn't a really a rock show, but this did just occur to me as a as a moment when I saw a performance and my mind was blown. When I was in elementary school, this other elementary school came and did their production of the Music Man. Yeah. And the and the kid who was the main guy was awesome. Oh yeah. I was just I was like, "Oh man, I, that guy's amazing. Is he from like some other planet or something? Like how is he doing that?" And then I went to soccer practice later that day and I saw that kid ride out of the woods on his bike. And I was like, "He's a real dude. He's a real kid. I want to be the music yeah. man." Anyway, I love that. No, because it's also it's also exciting to think that like you can put your 
yourself in those shoes and you can relate to somebody it's like that familiarity is so great when you realize yeah it was a big moment too. i was like he's a real kid yeah they don't he, grow they like mist and fog when he came out of the yeah. forest no it was very you know he was with a couple of his friends <laughs> it was just regular and uh it made a real impression on me actually do you remember his name no I don't think I ever knew it. Uh. He was just a music man to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, my my experience like that wasn't at a concert either, but I was mm-hmm. young uh, and hanging out at the mall in Salt Lake City. And mm-hmm. this guy with was hanging outside the mall. He kind of had long hair. I was with this girl that I really liked, Cheryl. She was my neighbor. And this guy had no shoes on and he was kind of wearing ripped up clothes and he told us that he was his name was brian adams and we were like (laughs) we were like whoa my god we i knew that there was a guy named brian adams i didn't know what he looked like but i just was like oh i can't believe this dude is fucking brian adams and my friend cheryl was like this guy's brian adams were his fingers bleeding (laughs) no but he uh sorry he uh, (laughs) You know, he asked us for money because he said the tour bus had left and if we could lend him some money because he needed to get to the next city. And we were like, oh, absolutely. We, you know, we gave him all the money we had. Oh, and I was, it was just amazed that, you know, we met Brian Adams and, and also amazed that Cheryl was really into him. And I was like, yeah. she's not that into me. So maybe <laughs> there's something to this rock and roll life. Anyway. It wasn't Brian Adams, but <laughs> it really left an impression on me of like someday. I can be Brian Adams too. I can oh, get no. kids to give me their money. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I love that he chose that to pretend to be. Like he chose, like, cause he, I don't know why he thought, like, oh, there's kids. I can pretend to be Brian Adams and they'll believe <laughs> me. Like, what, what is it about Brian Adams? I don't know. That this makes one believe the, that they can mimic or like pretend to be him. Late seventies, probably. So I, I or eighties. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's we perfect. were pretty gullible, and we just needed some something to like jolt us out of our. Do you think malaise. there's like a guy out there who's like, haha, one day I told a bunch of kids that I was Brian. <laughs> yeah. On a, he's on a podcast right now telling that story. <laughs> we believe we him. Would, he was a really good. Skin puppet, I mean. That's great. (laughs) This Must Be the Gig is produced by Adam Kibble. We'd like to thank Dean Berger and Daniel Brater for additional music, as well as the Consequence Podcast Network. Hey! If you've listened this far, why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too. For information on new episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at TMBTGPod and generally just irritate everyone you know about the show. Thanks again, and I miss you already. Consequence Podcast Network.